Genesis chapter 10, and what we're going to talk about tonight, you'll think, what are we supposed to talk about when we're just reading names? Uh, it's just a bunch of names, that's all we've got in here. But we are going to talk about why genealogies are in the Bible. And there is actually quite a bit of insight that we can get for, uh, from other things in the Bible just by studying Genesis chapter 10. There is a lot here. The Bible is a very special book, a powerful book. Every word of it is important. And God did not just put these things in here for filler. That is not why they are here. They have, they have meaning and they're going to help. And there's a lot of stuff that we can get too. Um, you know, I know we covered all the stuff about the Nephilim when we did chapters four, five, and six, but there's a lot of stuff here in chapter 10 also that helps us understand the truth about the giants that, um, people don't go to. Okay. When people talk about the, the Nephilim or the sons of God being angels, they never go to Genesis chapter 4, they never go to Genesis chapter 5, and they don't go to Genesis chapter 10. And this is all one book. It's all telling one story. We're going somewhere. So we're going to see some really interesting things in here. And I've got a lot of I want to try to cover tonight. But verse 1 says, Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them were the sons born after the flood. Now one thing about genealogies you need to understand is that they don't always list oldest to youngest. Okay, they often, sometimes they do, but many times they don't. Sometimes they list the most important. So often when you think about Noah's sons, you think of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You know, if you say, hey, what was the age of the, you know, oldest to youngest, you know, you'd say Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But we also see in verse, um, uh, we'll see it later in the chapter, in verse 21, it mentions, mentions Japheth the elder. And whenever you look at these genealogies, it actually goes Japheth, Ham, and Shem. Chances are Shem was probably the youngest. I mean, Noah was 500 years old when he had Shem, which was pretty old even back then to be having a child. Many of the other ones were uh, having him in their hundreds. So Shem probably was the youngest, and then uh, that's just my opinion, but he was definitely younger than Japheth. There's no doubt about that. The Bible spells that out. And people often make mistakes and come to dumb conclusions with genealogies just by assuming they're the oldest. And we'll see some of that too when we get to Abraham because Abraham was not the oldest. When it says Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, Abram was not the oldest. Uh, he was probably the youngest also. But notice in verse 2, so we're looking at the sons of Japheth, the, the oldest of Noah's sons, and it says Gomer, Magog, Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshach, and Tyrus. Okay? Now, who are these guys? I mean, any, does any name in there ring a bell to anybody? Any name in there at all? Magog, right? Okay, now, understand, now we all know where uh, Gog and Magog are mentioned. They're mentioned in Ezekiel uh, chapter 38 and 39. But then, of course, in Revelation 20 verse 8, it says, And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So what's interesting is we see Magog mentioned here in the very beginning of everything, just getting started right after the flood, and we see Magog mentioned after, after the millennium. Okay? So who are all these people? Because, um, well, turn over to First Chronicles. Well, uh, the only other time Magog's mentioned in the Bible is First Chronicles, just in the genealogies, and then Ezekiel 38 and 39, and then, of course, Revelation 20, verse 8. But what about the rest of those guys? Okay, there's a bunch of guys that are mentioned. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66 and verses 19 it says, I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape of them unto the nations to Tarshish, Pole, and Lud that draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the isles afar off that have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory, and they shall de declare my glory among the Gentiles. So many of those names that we just read there are names that we read in uh, Genesis chapter 10. Okay, so... Why are these people being mentioned in Isaiah? The same names that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 10, why are they being mentioned here in Isaiah? Okay? Because, and I don't completely understand all of this, but understand originally, the Gentiles were those who descended from Japheth. Okay? We often think of Gentiles as anyone who's not a Jew. But understand, 
there were a lot of people who were not Jews that were from Shem. Those were not Gentiles. Okay? We have a lot of people that descend from Ham. Okay? They, those are not Gentiles. In, in the Old Testament, the Gentiles were those from Japheth. That's it. We'll see more evidence of that as we go. So when we're reading um, Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, when we're reading in Isaiah chapter 66, these are prophe- prophecies about the Gentiles. So whenever you're seeing these references to these names or the Gentiles, you might as well just think in your head the descendants of Japheth. Okay? And most of us in here today uh, mo- uh, would probably be Gentiles, physically speaking. Okay, But we'll get more into that when we get the end of the significance of that. But anyway, so the reason we're seeing this here in Genesis chapter 10 is it is showing where the Gentiles come from. Because do the Gentiles not play a big part in the Bible? Aren't they mentioned quite a bit in the Bible? Do, aren't there a lot of prophecies that are in the Bible? And so the reason, one of the main reasons genealogies are in the Bible is one, because there were prophecies about the Messiah coming from a certain line. And so these genealogies are listed to show that Jesus was the fulfillment of those things. But there were also um, there were prophecies of doom and destruction towards certain lines of people. And so those genealogies are kept track of too. So we would recognize those prophecies coming to pass. So the reason that the, the genealogies are mentioned in the Bible is it's a way of showing how the prophecies were fulfilled and prophecies that are still to come. So, you know, now we, so when it comes to all these names that we read in verse two, I can't get up here right now and accurately tell you who these people are today. You know, these people are of Tubal. That's the people in, you know, Scotland or something. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know that anybody really knows. I've listened to a lot of prophecy preachers whenever they're talking about Gog and Magog and they're talking about all the stuff going on in Russia today and all the stuff going on in Ukraine and all these countries. You know, these are these are these nations mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. We're seeing these things come to pass. We know that that's who they are. Well, you know, are we positive about that? You know, I'm not saying Gog and Magog isn't Russia, but are we sure that it's Russia? You know, are you positive about that? Or could it just be, you know, a reference to the Gentiles? You know, I, I it, it's really hard to say. I don't think it's important really at all that we completely know who all, all of them are. And I don't. Okay, I don't know which of Japheth's sons I come from. And I don't really care. Okay, But anyway, verse 3 says, And of the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Ripheth, and Togermah. Okay, so Gomer and Togermah are also mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 38, when uh, we're seeing, uh, we'll go ahead and start reading in verse 1 of Ezekiel 38. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Mesek and Tubal, and prophesy against them, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Those are all names that we saw in Genesis chapter 10. Then in verse 6, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Togermah, and the north quarters and all his bands, and many people with thee. So we're seeing all those names mentioned because of the fact that this is a prophecy about the Gentiles right here. That's who it's, it's specifically talking about these people. And again, this would have made a whole lot more sense back in their day. You know, back in Moses' day, they would have known exactly what he's talking about. In Ezekiel's day, they would have known exactly what he's talking about. Today, you know, we might not be real sure, but back then they really would have known. And notice another person mentioned in chapter 3, Ashkenaz. Okay, now the only other time he's mentioned is in 1 Chronicles And in Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 27, it says, Set ye up a standard in the land, blow the trumpet among the nations, prepare the nations against her, call together against her the kingdoms of Ararat, many Ashkenaz, appoint a captain against her, and cause the horses to come up as the rough caterpillars. So, uh, what do we know about Ashkenaz? Well, not really much about the Bible, but, you know, I can't read about Ashkenaz without talking about the Ashkenazi Jews. Okay? 
which are Gentiles, those white Jews that are over there in Israel today, the ones that are trying to get the temple rebuilt, the ones that are always talking about being the chosen people. You know, everybody knows they're Ashkenazi, Nazi, N-A-Z-I. You know, Brother Daniel, what do you think about that? I don't know. I don't really care. Because at the end of the day, I do believe those people over there are the synagogue of Satan because, and we, I've preached on this before, and I'm not going to go into this a whole lot tonight, but it's not about the bloodline today. It's about the works. So because those people are over there uh, believing in another Christ, saying that Jesus is not the Christ, they are antichrist. They are the synagogue of Satan. I don't care where they descend from, whether they be from Ashkenaz or whether they be from Eber that we're going to see in a little bit. It doesn't matter. They are the synagogue of Satan. And so I don't really care about the Ashkenazi conspiracy. I mean, that, that's interesting if you want to look into some of that stuff. But I'm not going to preach on that, okay? Just because the, na- just because the name is in the Bible does not mean, you know, this is like a biblical truth now that I'm able to teach, all right? I, it, that's, that's foolish, and you don't want to get too caught up in that. It's just, it's not about the bloodline, it's about the works. So verse 4 says in the sons of Javan, <clears throat> Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim, all right? Tarshish has many mentions in the Bible. For, so it's often mentioned for its riches. It's often mentioned for its gold and silver. It's often mentioned, uh, if the ships of Tarshish are often mentioned. And it was Tarshish where Jonah tried to go and flee from the presence of the Lord. So we know that it was an area that would be along the coast somewhere. I don't know exactly where it was. But notice in verse 5, it says, By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families and their nations. So understand that the Gentiles, that they were from Japheth. That's who they were. Okay. So now, is it true that in Jesus' day, anyone who was not a Jew was a Gentile? Because Brian Sharp teaches, you know, we're supposed to, the Bible talks about going to the Jew first and also the Greek. We're supposed to go to the Jew first, okay? And that's all of us. They are our priority. Yeah, but where are they? You know, they're over in Israel or, you know, New York City or, you know, how, you know, so what, what are we supposed to do? Support a missionary to Israel. And Brian Sharp just happens to be one, okay? But he'll say, you go to the Jew first and then the Greek, all right? We're the afterthought, okay? We're, we're second. And then, but you know, it's like, what's, and I've heard him talk about, you know, all these missionaries, you know, wanting to go to the 1040 window or whatever it's called, you know, always wanting to go to, you know, the, you know, the African countries. They're after, even after the Gentiles. You know, he's like, you know, we need to put the black people even below the Gentiles. They're not even, they're not even Gentiles. That's what I've heard him say. You say, well, are they? Or are they not? At the, end of the, at the end of the day, I really don't care. Okay, But were they in the Bible? They very well could have been because during Jesus' day, okay, before the Romans took over, who had taken over the world? The Greeks had taken over the world. So I understand during this day when Moses is writing about the Gentiles and how they got started, they had stayed in their area. They were kind of their own people. But then later when they go and they're conquering the world, you know, you could say it was all Gentile after that. I mean, they had conquered the known world during that time. You know, and the Romans uh, were very closely related to the Greeks in a lot of ways and with a lot of stuff. They ended up kind of overtaking that. So, um, you know, I guess you could say that during that time it would be true. If you weren't a Jew, you are a Gentile. Seeing that they had pretty much taken over the world. But I, I really don't think it matters. Um, you know, we treat everybody equally. We don't care, Jew or Gentile, and it'd be nice if people could move on and, and get involved in the New Testament. And uh, But that's what happens when you reject replacement theology. You get stuck in, in the Old Testament. But anyway, um, look at verse 4. Oh, we already read verse 4. Uh, let's go to verse 5, So it's, uh, or 6, I'm sorry. So now we're to the sons of Ham, and it says, Cush, Mizraim, and Put, and Canaan. Okay, now, we all know about Canaan. We looked at him last week. And what's interesting about this too, he's the last one mentioned. I don't know if that's because he was the youngest or because he was just so rotten they, you know, they put him last. 
But at the same time, you know, we know that when Noah became, became a husbandman, this was probably years after the flood because Canaan's around for him to curse. And we know that Canaan was cursed. But um, notice these people that are mentioned. Mizraim. Okay? Mizraim is a notable character because that's where the Egyptians came from. And I don't have time to go through all the mentions of these people. I mean, we'd be here all night going through all these people, all the mentions, seeing how they're connected. But can you understand where Mizraim would be a, a, an important character for them to know about? Seeing the Egyptians, where where they had just that that's where they had just been for 400 years. That's where they had come out of bondage. So he's mentioning these people. These are notable people that are being mentioned. And so it says in the sons of Cush, Seba and Havilah. Sabta, Rehama, Sabticha, and the sons of Rehama, Sheba, and Dedan. Okay, and uh, Ethiopia, Seba, and Sheba, they all of them, they come from Ham. And turn over to Psalms chapter 72 and verse 10. Let's look at some mentions of some of these characters. Now, some of these characters are only mentioned in Genesis 10, and that's it. They're not mentioned anywhere else. But um, look what it says in... Psalm 72 says, The kings of Tarshish and of the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Okay, so they're mentioned there in Psalms. So they were still around. Isaiah 43.3, it says, For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. So we're seeing these names all kind of mentioned together as they often are because these are the descendants of Ham. That's where they came from. And it is these countries too are known still to this day and were known then for being people who had darker skin. And the darker skinned people, uh, they everyone would agree that they descend from Ham. And what's interesting, the name man, Ham means hot. Okay? And what happens often when we get hot? You know, we turn color, we turn red if we're out in the sun a lot, you know, our skin gets dark. It's very possible that Ham was born with very dark skin. And so it would make sense that his descendants would have darker skin. And so most, you know, most of your black population and many of the other darker skin uh, folks, they do, they come from, uh, they come from Ham. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, does it matter to us? No, but it did matter then because these people played a part in different prophecies and in different uh, physical situation that is, is, situations that Israel found themselves in. You know, the descendants of Ham were always a very wicked people. You know, the most wicked people that we see that caused a lot most trouble in the Bible typically were descendants of Ham. And we shouldn't be surprised seeing that Ham himself was so wicked. When we see that story of what happened when he came out of the ark. And again, I don't really have a position on what he did. But either way, any of the theories that are out there, they're all bad and they show Ham is bad. And I forgot to mention this last week, something that I've heard preached a lot, and I don't know if it's legit, but it could be, you know, because some people will teach Ham was a reprobate because they, they teach he's a sodomite. Well, I don't think that's real clear. But some also teach, no, that the reason Noah did not curse Ham and he cursed Canaan instead is because he couldn't curse Ham because, you know, Ham was one that went on the ark, which is a picture of the church. Therefore, you know, he was saved. So, you know, he couldn't curse him. So he cursed his son. I don't know. It's one of those things we can all talk about and argue about, but that doesn't really matter. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a nice little vein jangling type thing. But he, he, either way, uh, I forgot to throw in that little note last week. But the darker skinned people came from Ham, which means hot. And verse 8 says, And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. So um, it says in verse 10, at the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kaune in the land of Shinar. So the Bible, it, the Bible tells us really nothing about Nimrod. It tells us, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That kind of sounds like a good thing to me. But it mentions how he was a mighty man in the earth. And, but the only other mention of Nimrod in the Bible was in, is in uh, well, besides 1 Chronicles 1, where it just lists his name in the genealogy, is in Micah chapter 5, verse 6. It says, And they shall waste the land of Assyria, 
with the sword, the land of Nimrod in the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian when he cometh into our land and when he treadeth within our borders. So again, you can kind of see how even late in Micah, how these names still meant the same thing. They still had significance. So it, it, it makes total sense why God put these things in the Bible. But at the same time, we really don't have any evidence in the Bible of Nimrod being an extremely wicked man. Now, we do know he was a mighty man in the earth. We do know that the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And we all know about the Tower of Babel. Okay, we're going to be looking at that, I think, I believe next week. Uh, but the Bible does not mention in the story of the Tower of Babel anything about Nimrod. But... There's a lot of teaching out there about Nimrod. You know, if you, anybody ever heard of the book, The Two Babylons by Hislop? I, I read that years ago. Chick Track does a lot of stuff about Nimrod. And, you know, there's, and according to history, you know, he was a very wicked man that did some pretty horrible things. Uh, they, you know, supposedly that's where Catholicism came from and all these things. And I, and I, I'm not going to get into that either just because of the fact that uh, it's not in the Bible, so I don't really want to spend much time on it. I want to focus on what's here in chapter 10. But if you read a lot of that stuff about Nimrod, you know, in history or whatever, I don't think that stuff necessarily contradicts the Bible. Okay, Nimrod could have been a mighty hunter before the Lord, and it could have been a good thing. And then as he became, became mighty, he went evil. Because do we not see that type of thing happen in the Bible? So I don't think that contradicts. Uh, the history contradicts the Bible, but at the same time, I would not teach history as Bible. Don't, don't do that, but it's always interesting reading, uh, in case, you know, so, but it, it very well could be true. So anyway, verse 11 says, out of that land went forth Asher and built a Nineveh in the city of Rehoboth and Kala, and reason, uh, between Nineveh and Kala, the same as a great city. And Mizraim, Begat Ludim, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtuhim, Pathrusim, Casluhim, out of whom came Philistim and Catherine. Okay? Now, who is Philistim? Anybody know who Philistim is? Philistines, right? And you say, oh, yeah, it's not the same. Okay? Because now we all know that Goliath was a Nephilim, right? You know? And here's the thing, too. All the giants, okay, and I'm, we're going to look at several of them tonight, okay. And I don't have, I, I don't have, to, I, we don't have time to go through all of them. All of the giants that we see after the flood tells us where they descend from. Okay, now if they would have been descendants of angels, you know, wouldn't that have been an important thing to tell us? Especially if Genesis six is telling us that it was angels, okay. But why doesn't it tell us where the, who the, you know, the lines of the giants, you know, in Genesis chapter six? Because it didn't matter then because that whole line got wiped out except for Noah's line. But in the rest of the Bible, whenever it's mentioning these people, it tells us where they came from. And there is no mention about any intermingling and interbreed crossbreeding with angels. None at all. It just t it tells us specifically where they came from. And you can say, well, Philistine and Philistine, you know, that, that's not the same. Things that are different are not the same. Well, actually, it is the same. First Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 12 says, And Pathrusim and Casluhim, of whom came the Philistines. So, uh, you know, some things that are different are the same. Okay? So There's different ways you say it, different pronunciations. So we see here where the Philistines came from. Now, why do you think he mentioned that? It's mentioned in parentheses there, too. It mentions Casluhim, but it mentions, too, just briefly, puts a note in there. That's where the Philistines came from. Why? Because Israel would have cared about that. Now, it, when Moses wrote this, this is what's interesting. When Moses wrote this, the Philistines hadn't been a problem yet, had they? But were they not going to play a major part in their history from there on out? You better believe they did. They played, there was a lot of history with them. So, uh, just an interesting thing right there, because one notable Philistine was Goliath the Gittite. That's what he's referred to, Goliath of Gath or Goliath the Gittite. Not Goliath, you know, the Nephilim, not Goliath the Son of God, okay? Goliath of Gath. That's where he's from, a Gittite. He wasn't this unique race. He was just a very big man. 
that was of the Philistines. That's who he was of. He wasn't some pet that they picked up, you know, that they crossbreeded with some angels and then used them for war. He was one of them. He was, he was one of their people. And many of the other giants, we'll see them in a little bit, they were his family. They were his brothers. So verse 15 says, And Canaan begat Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Gergesite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Arvidite, the Semurite, and the Hamathite. And afterward were the families of the Canaanites spread abroad. And so notice the Jebusite that's mentioned in there. Jebus, or, um, Jebus was the name of Jerusalem before it was Jerusalem. So these are the Canaanites here. These are the people that were inhabiting the land that Israel is just about to take over when Moses gives them this book. So these people, they, they played a part. They know their origins. They know these, these are a wicked people. And there were prophecies about these people. And so these things are all being recorded. So when all these things are happening, people would look and say, you know what? God knew what he was talking about. You know, the Bible's true. This leaves no doubt about, uh, about you know, the prophecies. So the Jebusites were the ones who originally settled Jerusalem. So all those names you see there, we, we constantly hear those names throughout the Old Testament when referring to the Canaanites. So, and notice too, in verse 19, look at this. This is just kind of an interesting note too. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, as thou comest to Gerar, unto Gaza, as thou goest unto Sodom and Gomorrah, and Adma and Zeboam, even unto Lasha. Now, we know that Ham, his line is where the Sodomites came from. Okay? Now, today, you know, a Sodomite is just a homo, right? That's what we, that we call a homo, a Sodomite. That's the biblical term. But you all realize the Sodomites were originally a race of people, a group of people. But you know what happened? They got really, really wicked. They got really, really perverted. And then you know what happened? They got completely wiped out. They got completely wiped out. But yet we see Sodomites mentioned again throughout the Old Testament. Why is that? Because other people got perverted too, like the Sodomites. And so guess what they called them? Sodomites. Okay? That just became the term for people who end up becoming queers. The Bible just called them Sodomites, even though they got wiped out. Because again, it's not just about the bloodline, it's about the works. Okay? And a Sodomite bloodline is going to be as confusing as all get out. All right? Because of the fact they can't reproduce. And they are. They're, they're in every race of people. They're, they're in every race of people, but they're just all commonly referred to as Sodomites, named after the people of Sodom, who were a group that originally became known for that kind of perversion. But were the Sodomites the first Sodomites? Okay. Or were they the first queers? No. You know, Ham was probably the first queer, possibly. But at the same time, at the, at the same time, though, we continue calling them Sodomites. And we're going to continue calling them Sodomites. It doesn't, it's not about the lineage. It's about the works. So, Verse 20 says, These are the sons of Ham after their families and their tongues in their countries and in their nations. So, I want to take a few minutes to cover, show you some of this. So, once, one thing that's interesting in the Bible, all of the giants that we see mentioned in the Bible after the flood all descend from Ham. Okay? They all descend from Ham. Now, some people say well, it's because Ham must have married a wife that had some uh, you know, Nephilim DNA in her. And so it's like a recessive uh, gene. And that's why, you know, giants kind of got shorter as you go on in the Bible. And, you know, and that, that's why now you see people that, you know, it's rare to see them above seven. I don't know if you see anybody above seven feet anymore. Remember Manute Bull used to play basketball? He was 7'10". Okay. That was pretty close. He probably had some Nephilim DNA in him. But, uh, but anyway, but, you know, he definitely descended from Ham. You know, he was, he, he was, he was from Africa. But notice, though, Let's look at some examples of giants and the Bible mentions where they came from. Okay? Names that are, we see in Genesis chapter 10, we see associated with these giants later on in the Bible. So, for example, you're not going to hear anybody talk about giants when they're talking about Nephilim stuff without going to the Emims and the Zamzumims. 
In Deuteronomy 2.9, it says, The Lord said unto me, Distress not the Moabites, neither contend with them in battle, for I will not give thee of their land for a possession, because I have given it to Ar, the children of Lot, for a possession. The Amems dwelt there in times past, a people great and many. Now, note this, all right? Take a note of this. And tall as the Anakims. Keep that in mind, all right? Can you all remember the Emims and the Zamzomims were tall as the Anakims? Okay, because the Anakims, when Israel saw, man, we're like grasshoppers. And you got people who want to go hyper-literal with that, you know, and compare a grasshopper to a man. Okay, that was an exaggeration from a faithless people. Okay, but here's something that God said. The Emims and the Zamzumims were tall like the Anakims. Okay, keep that, don't, don't forget that. It says the Horums also dwelt in Seir before time, but the children of Esau succeeded them when they had destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their stead as Israel did unto the land of his possession, which the Lord gave unto him. So Esau wiped out those Emims and Zamzumims, so they weren't around anymore, but they were a people like the Anakims, okay? Tall like the Anakims. So the origin of those people in Genesis 14, verse 5, says in the 14th year came Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him and smote the Rephaims and Ashtaroth, and Carnam, and the Zuzims in Ham, and the Emims in Sheva, Kirithaim. Okay, so notice those names that are mentioned there. We're not going to go back and look at all those names, but those were all names that we see associated uh, with Ham in Genesis chapter 10, showing us where those giants came from. The Amorites, okay? You're not going to hear anyone talk about Nephilim without talking about Og, king of Ashan. Okay? They're all going to go to Og, king of Bashan, and they're going to talk about the Amorites, which is what he was. All right, and, and Amos 2.9 says, Yet destroyed I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of cedars, and was strong as the oaks, yet I destroyed his fruit from, from above, and his roots from beneath. All right, and you got the people that want to say, No, no, they were literally as tall as cedars. They're 300 feet tall. No, they stuck out like a cedar tree in a forest. It's like these people would stick out in a crowd of people. But notice the Amorites, whose heights were uh, like the cedars. Okay, keep them in mind. They, they had height like the cedars. Let's keep them in mind. And their origin is in Genesis ten sixteen, and the Jebusite and the Amorite and the Girgashite. We saw so we saw them. We saw where they came from. They also came from Ham. So Og. Was he was an Amorite? Uh, Joshua two ten says, "For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed." So right there we see how uh, you know the Og was an Amorite, and we see where the Amorites came from. They came from Ham. So even if you find an exception, too, of a giant whose lineage we can't trace back to Ham, it doesn't prove anything because a vast majority of the giants, and it, I don't know if it's all of them, I think it's all of them, I didn't have time to check all of them, but a vast majority of the giants we see have human ancestry. And so if all the giants, like Goliath, like Og, that are named, okay, like the Emims and the Zamzumims, if they all have human ancestry, wouldn't we just assume all of them do? I mean, that would just seem to make sense, okay? But look what, so look what it says in First Chronicles chapter 11 and verse 23. Because people often talk about, you know, the great stature of the Anakims, okay? These were people of great stature. These were people that some want to say, you know, there's literally a human to grasshopper comparison, but notice in 1 Chronicles 11.23, it says, And he slew an Egyptian, a man of great stature. An Egyptian. Okay? I mean, that's real clear right there. It's an Egyptian, but one of great stature, whose height was five cubits high. Now, how high is five cubits? Seven and a half feet. There's basketball players that are that tall. George Mirasan, wasn't he? He was like close to 7'10". I, I, I forgot. He was a real weird looking dude. That dude is a giant. Okay? Often giants are referred to like the Anakims as people of great stature. And here we have a, a man of great stature. He's not referred to as a giant. 
Okay? But he's referred to as having great stature, which is often referred to about giants as them having great stature. And he was seven and a half feet. There are people like that on the earth today. Therefore, they are giants. They are giants. And Manute Bull, George Mirasan, Shaquille O'Neal, you know, I'm pretty sure if they did a blood test, you know, they could find out they have both have human parents. Okay? I don't, I don't believe those guys are Nephilim. And so, you know, Shaquille O'Neal is a pretty good basketball player. But... Yeah, he's not not an F one, but he's a giant. According to the Bible, he's a giant of great stature. So look what it says in First uh, Chronicles twenty verse five. And there was war with the Philistines, and Elhanan the son of Jair slew Lamai, the brother of Goliath the Gittite, whose spear staff was like a weaver's beam. And yet again there was war at Gath, where it was a man of great stature whose fingers and toes were four and twenty, six on each hand, six on each foot, and he was also the son of the God or son of giant. Son of the giant. But when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, David's brother, slew him. These were born unto the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So notice we have this one. He's of great stature. All the Nephilim people love talking about this guy because he had six fingers and six toes on each hand and foot. And some people say, too, that that's how they all were because, you know, they weren't like us. No, I think it was just this one. Yeah, I think. And you say, well, what, what happened with him? What happens with some of these people? And I don't know. Once again, I'm not a you know, geneticist, if that's even a thing. But I almost think a lot of this stuff could have been like a freak of nature because of the fact that back then there was probably a lot of inbreeding going on. Okay? We know that kind of thing happened a lot. And so sometimes when there's inbreeding and stuff, it can cause weird mutations and things to happen. And it might have made it where some people just got really big because, uh, you know, like you have these, you know, and I, I, I don't want to start talking about medical things that are out of my league. I'll make myself look stupid. But, you know, when inbreeding happens, Weird things can happen sometimes. And it very well could have been. Some people got really big. And it could be too. They could have been breeding people on purpose. You know, I mean, I, if you wanted to start a race of, you know, really big people, you know, go get Shaquille O'Neal. Go find the tallest woman in the world, you know, and have them get married and have kids together. You know, go find people like that. I, I'll bet you could create a race of really big people. You know, it, it, there's races of smaller people. So th none of this stuff is that weird. But, you know, everybody loves a good sci-fi movie. I said it before, I'll say it again. Everybody loves a good sci-fi movie. And, you know, but we got to remember Jack and the Beanstalk, that was a fairy tale. Just because it was called a giant Jack and the Beanstalk and he might have been 30 feet tall, that does not now magically make giants in the Bible 30 feet tall or 300 feet tall or whatever. Okay? We see one giant. Doesn't call him a giant, but it calls him a great stature at seven and a half feet. And we see other people who are giants referred to as having great stature. So uh, if, if we're honest, if we're being consistent, you know, we can see that it's all the same. It says in Numbers 13, verse 32, And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Okay? So again, notice the great stature. So, and people want to make these legends about the people, the Anakims being just, I mean, gigantic. The Bible does not give us the height of the Anakims, but here's what the Bible does do. The Bible tells us that they were of great stature. The Bible tells us that the Egyptian was of great stature and was seven and a half feet. It says the Emims and the Zamzumims, because the Bible says so little, people really make a legend out of them. But the Bible says that they were like the Anakims. So they might have just been seven and a half feet tall. They could have been a little taller than that, but they could have been just seven and a half feet tall. I know that's not as cool as 20 feet. All right, that's not as cool, you know, as, you know, 12 feet or whatever the bedstead of Og, the king of Bashan, was. Or the ten feet that Goliath probably was, but they all they they could have been TV. They could have, either way. It's amazing how the people they just make these things bigger and bigger and bigger. Why to just kind of support their fairy tales? But I'm saying 
the Anakims could have been only seven and a half feet tall. According to the Bible, it's consistent in the language. So that's all the time we have to talk about that. But, you know, it's a good thing to study. Look up the giants. You can find out where they came from. They all had human ancestry. We, and, and it's interesting that you can all trace them back to hand. So uh, look at verse 22 of uh, John, or verse 21 of uh, Genesis chapter 10. It says, Unto Shem, also the father of the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth the elder, even to him were children born. Why is Eber mentioned? Because Eber is where Heber comes from. It, it, Hebrews come from. Okay, in Luke 3:35, we're not going to turn there. When it's going through the genealogies, it mentions it mentions him as Heber there, and Heber Hebrew and Hebrews. That's that's where that comes from. Okay? The Hebrews, uh, which is where the, what the Jews were, they descended from Eber. So he's mentioned here. So Shem, out of whom Eber came, because this is significant, because of the fact that it was the Hebrews that had come out of Egypt. That this book was given to the Hebrews. So, hey, Shem, you guys pay attention to this. This is where Eber comes from. You all know who he is because you all are named after him. So, in verse uh, 22 says, The children of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, and Lud, and Aram, and the children of Aram, Uz, and Hul, Gether, and Mash. Okay, now, I don't know this for sure. Just my opinion, but it's very likely, very possible that Job was from this line, and Job was from Shem because of the fact that um, Job in the chapter one it mentions, and there was in the land of Uz, okay? and the land of Uz, it not Oz, in the land of Uz is where Job lived, and Uz was someone who was in the line of Shem, and you know Shem. You know, seems to be where the more godly people came from. Seems more likely that that's where Job would have come from. And there's another Uz that's mentioned later in Genesis in Esau's line, but most people would agree that uh, Job was before Esau. So, um, more than likely, uh, Job was a descendant of Shem, and he was from the land of Uz. Why did it mention that in Job 1? Just so the Jews would know who it is. You know, hey, here's a distant cousin of yours. You know, uh, but anyway, verse 24 says, And Arphaxad begat Salah, and Salah begat Eber. So Shem, Arphaxad, and then Eber, which is where the Hebrews come from. So now to Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. So this is probably a reference to the Tower of Babel, when the earth was divided, when everybody split up. It was during their days when that took place. So verse 20, because, and that's significant too, because while they descended from Heber or Eber, you know, the people were all of one language and one speech at the Tower of Babel, weren't they? But after the Tower of Babel, the earth ended up getting divided and then that's when all the different languages started to form and, you know, God had confounded their language. They all settled in their different areas. And so, the Jews specifically, you know, they came from Heber, but it was during Peleg's day when the earth was divided. And so that's another notable character for them. Just like if you were doing your family history, you know, whichever one of your ancestors it was that you say came over on the Mayflower, that's going to be a notable ancestor because he's the one that kind of changed the course of history for your family. Maybe your family for years was from, you know, for, you know, forever was from Scotland, but then, you know, uh, the original, you know, McMurtry came over to the United States and, you know, that kind of changed the course of history for the McMurtry. So he's going to be a notable character. So these guys are going to be notable characters too, because wherever they were at, you know, wherever they went to, you know, it had all changed their history. It changed during that time. So these things are being mentioned. So it says in verse 26, um, in Joktan begat Almodad and Shalef and Hazarmaveth. And Jerah, and Hadoram, and Uzal, and Dikla, and Obal, Abimael, and Sheba, and Ophir, and Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. And their dwelling was from Mesha, as thou goest unto Sephar, a mount of the east. So these are the sons of Shem, after their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. 
These are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations and their nations. And by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. So what we've seen here in chapter 10, and understand, not everything in Genesis is chronological. You know, because we're going to actually go back in time some when we get to chapter 11, whenever we're talking about the Tower of Babel. But this is just showing us where all the nations went. It's showing us how they were divided up. And so, uh, you know, this passage would have made a lot more sense back in Moses' day when it was written. But here's the quick question I want to cover. How does this help us today? Okay. What do we do with chapters like this? You know, why is this, why is it important that we study these things? Well, one, it helps us understand who the characters are that we see throughout the Bible. And, you know, so that's, that's very important. It helps us, you know, to understand the prophecies that come later on all these what seem like random names in Isaiah chapter 66 and Ezekiel 38 and 39. It, these things help us know who he's talking about. But at the same time, is it important to know our genealogies today? And the answer to that is a simple no. It's not important at all. I mean, if you want to study your genealogies, you know, I mean, go right ahead and do it. But it's not, there's no spiritual significance. There's no prophetic significance in you studying it, especially if you're a Christian. Okay. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might want to pay some attention to it. So you can study these prophecies and see what's coming for you. And you can maybe, you know, then get in Christ and avoid these things. But First Timothy 1, 4 says, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. So the Bible says, avoid the endless genealogy. You say, well, why do we pay attention to the genealogies in the Old Testament? Because those aren't endless. They ended. They ended at Jesus. We'll pay attention up to that. After Jesus, all that matters is are you in Christ or are you not? So, you know, but we're not going to get involved in endless genealogies and then go past that. And then try getting into our day and connecting ourselves back then. That is, that's foolish and vain. I talked to some guys, there's some Mormons here in town. Mormons are all into the genealogies. Mormons are obsessed with genealogies because they want to go get baptized for all their dead ancestors so all their dead ancestors can go to heaven. And I talked to these guys one time, and, and I won't get the numbers right, I won't get the details exactly right, but they literally straight-faced told me you know, that they are 242nd cousins with Abraham. They know they they were talking about how you know they're you know 18th cousins with Obama and 22nd cousins with you know George W. Bush and they were telling me all these things you know and I'm I'm kind of playing along at first but then I finally I was like how in the world do you know this and they had this great big house this right here in town and they had this uh, up in this attic they're like our dad spends 12 hours a day up in the attic studying genealogies. And he's figured out how we're related to everybody. And I was just like, that is really weird. <laughs> that is really weird. And you realize most of those genealogy programs that are out there, those are put together by Mormons. They're the ones that have studied all these things. Almost probably all of that was put together by Mormons. So just kind of an interesting thing right there. But I, I don't think anybody can figure out how they're related to Abraham. All right. I, I think too many records have probably been destroyed, especially in Jerusalem. After it got completely destroyed, what do you think happened to all those genealogies? They all got lost. But you know what genealogies remained? The ones in the Scriptures. Because they are a part of the Word of God. Therefore, they abide forever. But any other ones after that, they, they don't matter. They don't matter. And when you stand before God, He's not going to check your lineage and you know determine how to judge you based on that. It's going to be according to your work. So uh, Titus 3.9 also says, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and striving about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. So the reason the Bible spent so much time, or you know, so why did the Bible spend so much time on genealogies if it's not important today? And I believe it's because it provided proof to us that all mankind is sinful and there are no pure races of people. Understand, Romans 1, we're seeing the Greeks and just how bad and wicked and reprobate they were. But in chapter 2, we're looking at the Jews who weren't as bad as the Greeks. But you know what they were? They were sinners. They were transgressors of the law. And so when we get to chapter 3, you know what we find out? As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. 
They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what we learn from all these genealogies in the Old Testament? Is that we're all bad. That all mankind, all races, there are no righteous people. There are no righteous nations. Not even Israel. In fact, Israel was just as bad as the rest of them. There are no righteous people, but there was one person that came along, but he had to be born of a virgin. And his name was Jesus Christ. And if we want to have righteousness, if we want to have heaven, if we want to receive the promises that were given in the Old Testament, if we want to have any inheritance, it doesn't matter where you descend from physically. It matters where you descend from spiritually. And you've got to get in Christ. So the genealogies that are in the Bible, they are there to show us that we are all just sinners. And I have no hope. I have nothing to boast about because of my family line. So you know what I'm going to have to do if I want to get heaven, if I want to get any of these blessings, if I want to receive those promises that were given in the Old Testament, I better get in Christ. Just like Abraham, who God had chose, God named as the father of those who are of faith. People thought you had to be physically his father, but it turns out, no, you have to be spiritually his father. You get that by having faith in Christ. And if you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed. So it turns out all those promises that God gave to Abraham, Abraham's going to get it and all those of Abraham are going to get it. But it has nothing to do with their genealogy. It has everything to do with their faith. You know what, dispensationalists? Go put that in your pipe and smoke it. These dispensations that want to make a big deal still today about genealogies, you know what? They need to drop dead and go suck an egg as far as I'm concerned. They make me sick. Read the book of Galatians. Get over it. Get over your genealogies. Stop telling people they got to go to the Jew first before the Gentile, and then they got to go to the blacks after they go to the, Gen- you know, the Jews and the Gentiles. That's a bunch of trash. You know where we're going to go? We're going to go to those who are receptive. We're going to go to people who are of faith, who are going to have faith, so they can be saved. And they can be a part of the blessing too. And a part of the inheritance. A part of the Jews' inheritance that they lost because they were not of faith. Get over it, dispensationalists. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word, Lord. I I pray that this was a help. I pray, Lord, that this will uh, just increase our interest in genealogies. I pray we won't just read over these things just to get through our Bible reading, but we'll actually take the time to look at these things and, uh, and as evidence, Lord, that your prophecies uh, did come to pass and they are going to come to pass and help us to uh, learn the most important thing, that genealogies, Lord, they're, they're, they all went bad. Every single one of them were wicked and sinful, and every single one of them are dependent on you for salvation. And I pray that people won't get caught up in their physical lineage, but they will start worrying about the spiritual lineage and that they will believe on you for salvation so they can receive the inheritance and the blessings. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead.